Welcome, Compass Bible Church, to another episode of the Compass Equip Podcast. This is Pastor Hayden, and I'm joined with... Pastor Evan. You just said your name. You talked about yourself in the third person. That's good. (laughs) Here at Compass Bible Church, we exist to do the same thing every day of our lives, and that is make disciples of Jesus Christ by reaching people for Christ, teaching people to be like Christ, and training people to serve Christ. And all the things that we do here are all about reaching, teaching, and training. Well, we finished up our series through the book of Colossians last week, and we are taking a little time in uh, this area of the summer to do two standalone messages. This one, the one that Pastor Evan just preached on this Sunday, was answering God's call to action through Matthew 9, 35 through chapter 10, verse 4. And I'll read that for you guys as we can get our bearings and uh, overview of this week's sermon. It says in verse 35, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease And every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And he called to him his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the twelve apostles are these, first Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Well, Pastor Evan, we wrapped up another summer weekend here at Compass Bible Church, and this week's sermon focused on us as Christians, striving to imitate God's compassionate heart for the lost if we hope to do our job of making disciples well. And you uh, codified these by saying it's important that we internalize God's mission, cultivate a tender heart toward the lost, and answer God's call to make disciples. Is there anything off the top of your head that you thought you would like to elaborate a little bit on since we have a little extra time in our podcast? Well, I think it's helpful for us to remember and to really soak in who God really is. You know, we dive, dove in deep in the second point to, as we put a bookmark in Matthew chapter 9 to understand why did Matthew have to write the words, the sheep without a shepherd. And we we studied through kind of thoroughly uh, Exodus 34. And when we really see how truly compassionate God is for us, it should drive us to have a desire to have a heart like him. And if we don't have a heart like his, we're never going to be able to do our job well. We can mm. disciple for a season. We'll take people through partners. We might read a book or two. We might even attend a life group. We might evangelize. We might go out you know, to land a park and witness to people, invite people to church. But if we do not have God's heart, we will never persevere. Right, and you can't really have a love for God if you don't have a heart for what God loves. Absolutely, and this is you know, what he loves. He, he loves his people. He loves his church. And it's always a challenge to say, hey, you need to be with God's people. We need to be fellowshipping with one another. You uh, made a a good point uh, when you were talking through Ezekiel 34, and even in verse 23, where Jesus was prophetically confirming uh, his call to be the shepherd that you saw in Ezekiel 34, 
verse 23 that you preached on. You want to elaborate on that a little bit of him being the one shepherd, the servant David, who will feed the flock and be their shepherd? Yeah, during that time in Ezekiel's very, you can almost say similar spiritually for, for Jesus's time, you had these shepherds, these priests in Ezekiel who were failing. They not only failed to lead Israel not to sin, that was their job, was to point them back to Yahweh. They were joining in on the fun. They were pretending to, as Ezekiel later shows, like they were doing the temple worship, but behind the veil, they were worshiping other gods. And they were doing things for themselves and not for, I mean, they were taking away and extorting things from uh, the, God's people and using it for themselves. And as a result, God's people were being sh- you know, scattered hmm. you know, by the enemies of Israel. And essentially, God's like, I have enough. I had enough. You are done. I am against you. And the beautiful part is, is you you begin to see in verse 11 of Ezekiel 34 all the way down to verse 23. As he hears God, he's like, I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to get muddy. I'm going to get dirty. I'm going to pierce through you know, space and time as that you like to you know, refer to and say, I will feed them. I will rescue them. I will bring them out. I'll be the one to search after them. That mm-hmm. was your job. But I'll be the shepherd that, right. that's supposed to do that. And so when Jesus says the words in the gospel of John, but also when Matthew writes these words, as Jesus saw that like, they're sheep without a shepherd, it's supposed to help us see this is that same God from hundreds of years ago that says, I'm going to do this. And here's Jesus doing, doing it. it. Right. That's good. And that's so important for us because we always wonder, and we'll even jump into it a little bit in the DBR spotlight with Job. It's like we, we think that all the causal situations that we're in right now, uh, that God has to somehow continually be making adjustments or, uh, oh, well, so-and-so messed up, so God now has to do this. And instead of realizing that God's had an internal plan, and his eternal plan was always to be the shepherd, the shepherd, and always was to send Christ. Well, how is that so? If sin entered the world, and you're saying that God ordained sin, or that God uh, lets all these bad things happen, or you know all these big questions, and it's so important for us to see that even when it comes to God not desiring to see sinners uh, lost for eternity, it's like it's all been a part of God's redemptive plan, and it's important, like you were saying in your sermon, to get to his word, and to see how the Bible pieces together God's entire redemptive plan, and it's for His glory and for our good. And there is a lot of questions you're going to have here. Uh, But at the end of the day, it's understanding you need to worship, glorify God, and be reaching people that God desires. And God desires that all people, according to 1 Timothy, right? 1 Timothy 2.4. Yeah, and 2 Peter 3.9. Right, that He desires all people to be saved. And so for us, it's like, I get it. You're going to have all these questions in answer let the lord let your your pastors as they preach and let your bible study answer those throughout your life but the bottom line is god desires to be the shepherd and desires to see lost people saved all right uh man there's something else i really really wanted you to uh to harp on a little bit because i just thought it was really 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 good uh Second Corinthians five twenty, right? us being ambassadors of of christ you want to elaborate on answering god's call to make disciples yeah, here is there's our role, and you preached on this a little bit during your Colossians series where we're ambassadors. We represent God, and so we have God's authority to, we represent God's authority as we go out to do our job. For an ambassador, they have a job for the United States. We, as ambassadors, have a job for, for God. And what is what are we supposed to be doing? Where God is making his appeal, and I love that word, his appeal. He's he's pleading with people, trying to convince them, to show them, here's the evidence, this is the truth, 
this is how you need to react to this truth. And this is how you react to this truth, essentially by trusting in me. And he's imploring people through us as God's workers, the laborers, the harvest workers, on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God, to be made right with with God. And to remember that's our, our title. We might be a CEO or we might be the janitor in mm. between this business. No matter what, we are all ambassadors with the same job. And mm-hmm. as I mentioned before earlier, the work is reflective of the work Adam and Eve had in the garden. Mm-hmm. They were supposed to work the garden with God. Right. Well, there's the sin problem. We're working against God. But when God saves us, we work with him again. It's no longer a garden. It's now a harvest field right. that we need to get to work in. Right. Uh, and the last thing I want to touch on in in this section is this idea of cultivating a tender heart toward the lost or that compassion that that God has. Uh, How Let's dialogue a little bit about that on the need to have a compassionate heart for the lost. Okay, so question one, pose it to you this way. Uh, We have to reach the lost. I mean, our desire is to go preach the gospel to the lost, but I, I haven't done that in my whole life. What's my problem? Your problem is you need to follow God's direction. You You need to submit to yourself to say, I'm, I've been wrong and it's okay. I mean, okay. Meaning God's going to take care of it. Mm-hmm. God can redeem it. It's not okay that you're not doing it. Right. But I, so is my, my, my real question is I haven't, I don't have a desire to do that. Mm-hmm. And so what you need to do is to ask God to put his heart in you. Well, one question is going to be one, are you a Christian? Because if we are Christians, we have God in us, and his desires is going to lead us towards that direction. So we have to check, okay, am I saved? And then two, okay, yeah, I am saved. Why? Because according to what the Bible has to say, that if I've repented and trusted in Christ, I am saved. So I'm going to let the Bible do that. So if I have this kind of hard heart towards lost people, mm-hmm. I need to allow God to change me. The way you do that is that you can do twofold. One, making sure, as we talked about earlier, listening to what God has to say through his word. Mm-hmm. Using the text, like we said before, 1 Timothy 2, 2 Peter 3, 9, Ezekiel 33, 11, mm-hmm. to say, like, see what, how God views people. This is how you need to view people. It's good. And also to pray. I mean, Paul says it in Romans 12 that we need to be transformed by the renewal of our, mi- our minds naturally are against God. We mm-hmm. need God to change us. Mm-hmm. And as David is repenting in Psalm 51 of his sin, he's saying, God created me a clean heart. And so we need to ask God, hey, change my heart, change Mm -hmm. my mind so that I can see it. And then help me just to follow you. Sometimes we just have to go do it. Right. And trust that God, as we abide in him, that he's going to help us do it. Yeah. I think when you look at this and you have questions of saying, why don't I have a heart for the lost? One of the couple of things you need to ask yourself are, you know, do you really see the danger of sin? Do you see the penalty of sin? Do you see the depravity that people have? And that, that's why God has a, a great compassion for people because he understands how great the chasm, right? How big the problem. And his his heart is is a desirous that people would come to know him through uh, the substitution of his very son, right? And so if you don't have a desire to see lost people saved, the real the, the question you might need to uncover in your life is, I mean, do you really see sin as a problem? I mean, do you really see a separation from a just, loving, holy, perfect God as, as, a, as the life's biggest issue? And when you start thinking about that, then you're thinking, man, that means if people don't have that, they're missed, they're, they miss the whole thing. They miss the whole picture. Just like Paul wrote in Romans 9, 1 through 3, that he had this anguish, wishing that he can trade places mm-hmm. with his Jewish brothers to say, I'd rather go to hell and they go to heaven right. so that he can be saved. We can feel that same way. Mm-hmm. And so when this, for you know the culture wars that you even mentioned within the announcements of, okay, Roe v. Wade was overturned. Great. 
Now there's going to be thousands of babies and thousands of mothers who need to know Jesus. Mm-hmm. So, and then thousands of fathers that need to know Jesus. That's right. the mission. Which has always been Jesus' plan. Right? It's always been plan. the plan to have more people to come to know Christ. But now you got to actually listen. That's right. With the connection you're making, now you got to go reach these people. Right. Now you got to help realize, okay, life, they have life. Now they need life more abundantly, right? They need they need the life, the light life. of man, right? Which is Christ. And so, anyway, that there there is your uh, sermon focus and your a little bit of your commentary overview on this week's sermon focused on answering God's call to action. So we have some application questions this week. We don't have life group. We have fellowships this week. Uh, but even though, what can we be doing in our own devotional time? Uh, with these questions use this to really challenge yourself uh, this week as you go and go through this with the as a devotion if you're if you're married you go th- through this with with your spouse and even talk to some of the if you're a guy talk to the guys in your life group gals talk to the gals of your life group and really see like all right do i really one of the questions is simply write out the gospel do you know the gospel can you explain the gospel to someone allow this time to help you flash out thoughts and how would i share it with someone maybe a couple different people you know, how, how can I make sure that I'm not embarrassed about the gospel? Instead, how can I be proud of the gospel and knowing that it is the power to save? And so use these questions to really help you give some spiritual habits to cultivate that compassionate heart and to be able to equip you to be able to reach the lost, no matter where where they're from. If they're a Muslim, if they're a Buddhist, if they're on the left side of the political aisle, if they're on the right side of the political aisle, if they're a deceived Christian, regardless of who it is, use the, these questions to help you bolster your uh, fuel to reach the lost. All right, guys, and as you go through these questions, uh, take God at his word. Like As you're reading these verses, say, if God's word says it, I'm going to believe it. And if the que- if your questions become, well, how do I know God's word is God's word? Those are whole other questions that we need to jump into. But to be a Christian means when God's word says it, I'm going to believe it, I'm going to act on it, and I'm going to live it out. And one last thing, I've mentioned this briefly in the in the sermon, is that when you do this, you're, you're going to be able to speak into anybody's life, mm-hmm. including the very painful ones. A lot of times our culture wants to cover up death and, and pain, but you're able to say, no, we need to look at it, walk through it, and see the solution is Christ. And so you'd be able to walk through people who are struggling and suffer, truly just suffering. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that's what the gospel solves, right? Our greatest problem of suffering. And so that's why the gospel is so important, because all these real problems that people are dealing with are solved through the gospel. That is why the gospel is here. That's why Christ it was here. That's why we deal with these real life questions because God came to deal with our real life issues. And just this is gonna. I want to focus very shortly on like thirty seconds on the the abortion issue. You have people on the the pro life side and then pro choice side who are gonna vehemently defend both without the gospel. Hmm. And you're gonna look at the, they're trying to solve an issue that's only a Christ solving issue if it's for the life or for the the mother's life as well in terms of the pro-choice side of things they're going to try to solve it their way without christ it's not going to make sense it's Mm -hmm. not going to work but you and i can speak into a situation like that that's so hot topic and be reassured that we have the true foundation that we can truly stand on and say hey all right you have a child that might be born with deficiencies guess what jesus is the solution Mm -hmm. to this pro to to the, the thing that you're going through so follow what Christ has to say, not what you think might be the right thing. So know what, what does Christ has to say? Mm-hmm. We can speak into people's lives, which is, which is great. 
And we see that in our DBR spotlight, right? Well, here we go, Pastor Hayden. Ooh. So you're doing the DBR spotlight this week. So That's right. what do we have for us with the rest of the book of Job? Right. To segue from what you were just saying is, you know, people have their own answers to all the big questions in the world, but they're not God's answers. And you saw three friends do that over the past week, uh, trying to give their best shot at answering life's biggest questions. And so the questions that are being answered here and that Job is asking as we're looking at Job 29 through 42 as we finish up the book of Job this week is, is God just? Is his righteousness displayed in his response to suffering? I mean, isn't this all of our questions? Why is there suffering? Why does it seem like there's injustice going on in the world? Uh, these are questions that those who are in, characters in, this, uh, in the book of Job are trying to answer. Uh, and even Job, as he's in misery, he, he reminisces and looks back at his life before in Job 29, 2 through 4. Oh, that I were as in the old months back in the day, as in the days when God watched over me, when his lamp shone upon my head, and by his light I walked through darkness, as I was in my prime when the friendship of God was upon my tent. I mean, he's of course, he's already has a whacked out worldview as if God is no longer there, as if God is no longer watching over him. It's completely untrue. Right? The premise is wrong. Uh, but even Job is just thinking back to when, you know, life was great. And it, it really sets up the real problem here is Job says, why are things so wrong? And so you see through the next few chapters, Job 29, 30, and 31, that he's seeking an answer from God. And through the next couple of chapters, you see Job listing out all the possible sins that could kindle God's wrath to him. Uh, and then you see him saying, well, if I've done these things, if I've done these things, if I've done these things, then curse be me. And, you know, then I, I get it. But, you know, I've, actually what Job, Job is saying is I haven't done all these things. Like I'm innocent and I just don't understand why all these things are happening to me. Well, and that's really Job's final appeal here. Uh, and then a new character jumps in, Elihu, right? And uh, this is a really godly fella who really addresses the problem from a biblical worldview. Uh, and he has his turn to address Job about God. And here you see Elihu uh, talking about Job's real issues, right? The God is sovereign, that we may not know why God does everything, but his word tells us some reasons for suffering. For instance, you and I have the texts like Romans 5, one through five. We've been justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And through him, we have attained access by faith into his grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now, that's where you got to start. I mean, when we suffer and we have all these problems, the first thing you need to understand is you've been justified in Christ. You have peace with God through Christ, and we have access by faith into the grace of God. So whatever your suffering is, whatever your problem is, you better understand first and foremost, your biggest problem has been solved. Right? Your eternal problem has been solved. Every issue that you had before a holy God has been completely absolved in Christ. Now, verse 3. got to start with that bedrock. Not only that, I love that because that is the biggest thing, but not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Well, what's the point here? Do you not think that uh, Job, as he went through his suffering, that he did not have endu more endurance? That he did not produce character in him? As a matter of fact, it does. We see it in the Job. Uh, his character uh, becomes much more godly and God-centered, and his response to God becomes much more humble. Suffering produces these things, and it produces hope. If God can give, God can take away, and God can give back. All those things Job learned, and it's important for us to learn in our own suffering, that number one, the biggest problem has been solved, 
And two, we can rejoice knowing that God puts suffering in our life to give us endurance and character and hope. And that hope will not put us to shame. Riches will put us to shame. Uh, relationships can put us to shame. But the one thing that will not put us to shame is the hope that we have even in the midst of suffering. James 1, 2 through 4 says the same thing. Count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds, for the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and steadfastness having its full effect makes you perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That is the jewel of suffering, and that is, you see in the, the book of Job, these things playing out in the life of Job. And you have Elihu, who does what is right, right? And even after he <laughs> called uh, Job out right, in saying, hey, you can't call God unjust, right? God is perfect and he's just. And Elihu ends his time by saying, God is great, right? He glorifies God. He knows that God is perfect and just and perfect in righteousness. And he spends time, you know, pointing out to Job how great God really is, which is what we ought to be doing, whether we have plenty or whether we have not many, right? We have got to be the people who are glorifying God in the midst of uh, where we are. And you see Job doing this because Job is no neither completely wrong or completely correct. Uh, he's a very bit of an emotional wreck. And so you see phrases, you're like, that's Orthodox Christianity right there. And then you see some other things saying, that's a heretic, right? I mean, he was dealing with this emotional roller coaster of what do I do with my suffering? And that's going to be anyone who is suffering, even yes. today. You might be people who are really strong in suffering. They might say some things that are incorrect, but then if their foundation's strong, they're going to always get back to the truth. And again, and is it good for you? Every time somebody's in that place and they're suffering and they say one wrong phrase about God, I mean, are you going to be the one who just says, you're wrong, that, that word right there, that was wrong? Or you, and that's really, I mean, what the other three friends did, but Elihu just pointed them back to God. And that's what we do in our suffering. We point people back to God, and we suffer with those who suffer. We mourn with those who mourn. Uh, but what we do is we point people back to God. And Elihu, at the end of it, just says, God is not unjust. God does things for a reason. Now, really important, because that segues us into chapters 38 through 41, when God shows up. Now, you need to completely underline, uh, flag, bookmark verses 38 or chapter 38 through 41 for the rest of your life because it gives you a little bit of self-counseling. Uh, you need to read that book probably or that part of the book of Job probably once a month. This gives you such a perspective of God's, uh, the way that God sees the world, the way that God has created the universe and how a lot of times we don't see things the way that God does. And here in these few chapters, you get a glimpse into God's mind about the universe and God shows up, which is always a dangerous thing when God shows up, right? It's very, very dangerous, very holy, right? Very, uh, very solemn, very uh, serious situation. And uh, God shows up and asks Job the real OG kind of questions about the universe, right? I mean, like God was there at the beginning. God did it all. And uh, as Job is complaining and, and kind of being up and down, God says, let me ask you some questions. You've been, you've been putting me on trial. Now it's time for me to ask you some questions, right? And he asks all these cra like crazy questions that you're like, man. First he tells him, dress for action like a man, and I'm going to question you. I would have just soiled my pants and ran home to mom, right? He says, where were you when I laid down the foundations of the earth? Uh-oh, right? Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. <laughs> Right, who stretched the line upon it? Right, uh, where were its bases sunk? Who laid its cornerstones? And I, you can just—you need to read this whole thing. I'm just going to skip around and just show you how crazy uh, it is for for Job to question God this way. Right? Have you entered into the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Well, obviously we haven't. We can't even get to there these days with all the technology we have. Uh, and he says, uh, 
And has the rain a father, or who has begotten the drops of dew? For whose womb did the ice come forth, and who has given birth to the frost of heaven? Right? I mean, oh man, I mean, uh, I love, this is one of my favorite. Can you bind the chains of the Pleiades, or loose the cords of Orion? It's like, you know, we have these constellations that we look at that are so massive, and God says, I breathe those into creation, son. You know, (laughs) like, that's some, like, serious stuff. And it goes on and on and on. And I love it, because it goes to the majesty of the immense creation. And it even goes down to the little things, right? Do you know when the mountain goats give birth? Who cares about the mountain goats giving birth? You do. You're an animal guy. I do, right? Me, but God does, right? I mean, God's like, look, the Pleiades, but also the mountain goats. You observe the calving of the does. Can you number the months that they fulfill? Or do you know the time when they give birth, when they crouch, when they bring forth their offspring, when they deliver their young? I mean, this is God of the universe, but God so imminent. And he's saying, do you, do, do you manage the universe? Job, can you handle the job of of being the transcendent but yet imminent personal God who is sovereign over all things, right? Come on, guys. God stuns Job's myopic perspective with God's grand view of the universe and his utter control over everything that goes on in the universe, and it's all for the glory of God, and it's all purposed to bring about the plans of God, and that's even in our suffering. And God broadens Job's perspective, and think about this, all Job was thinking, now remember this, when we just read all these chapters, and Job was talking about me, 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 and so woe is me, woe is me, and then what God talks about is all the other things in the world that's going on. Job talks about one thing, God talks about everything, right? All Job was thinking about was himself and the things immediately surrounding him. But isn't that what we do, right? We always focus on us, us, or this, this very small thing right here. And God says, well, what about all these things, right? Sometimes we can be so myopic that we don't realize that God is doing a grand thing. We just got to back up and see God's got a plan for all things, all people, the whole universe, not just for my little universe that I'm sitting in in my own little world. Uh, and so God showed him all things from the biggest to the smallest. And we got to make sure that we don't get so caught up in our own problems and suffering that we forget God's grand design, his mission and his creation. And then after all this, for a couple of chapters, which is the biggest butt chewing in the universe is what just happened there. After God calls Job out, Job answers. And this is the best answer you should ever have uh, in the sight of a holy, just God. Job 40 verses one through five. And the Lord said to Job, shall a fault finder? Contend with the Almighty. He who argues with God, let him answer it. Job says, Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay a hand on my mouth. I have spoken once, and I will not answer twice, but I will proceed no further. Well done, Job. Right? Wisdom is coming out of the mouth of Job. Then skip down a couple of chapters of Job 42, uh, verses 1 through 6. Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Oh, God's sovereignty at play. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand. There's wisdom. I was speaking things that I did not even understand. God, things that have been too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear and I will speak. I will question you and make it known to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. There is your theme verse in the book of Job. I repent from questioning the sovereignty and trusting in God's complete utter control of the universe. And when it was answered to Job who God is and what he's doing, Job had one response. 
I repent. God, I turn. I'm sorry that you truly are the God of the universe and all things you have planned and none of your plans can be thwarted. And then you see, uh, as all of this is coming to its culmination, uh, God turns from Job and then looks at his friends. In Job 42.7, God rebukes the three friends and their foolish wisdom and tells them to repent. Job repented, right? He looks at his three friends. He says, you guys need to go repent. And I want you to remember that, right? When you want to spit out foolish wisdom to other people, right? When other people are dealing with all these problems and you want to be quick to speak and not quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, slow to throw out a lot of wisdom. Know, know that those friends thought they were giving the right wisdom, but God rebukes them because of their foolish wisdom that doesn't come from God's word. But Elihu, God did not rebuke. God did not discipline Elihu because Elihu gave the words that had come from a biblical understanding of suffering and, and issues and trials that we have in our lives. Now, not everybody's story ends like this, but it does here, which is a grace and mercy of God. Job 42.10, And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends, and the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had done before. Even in all of that, I, I want you to see all of this, that all of that was done for a purpose. All the bad, yes. All the things that were, that were terrible, yes. Like God allowed suffering for the good of his people. Number one, we have the account of Job because God allowed Satan to do all the things that he did. And we now have an understanding of how God deals with justice and suffering and trials in the midst of the of faithful Christians' lives. We have all of those things because of the suffering that Job went through. So his suffering was not only for his good to make him mature, it was for the good of Christians and godly people throughout all ages. And so, again, Job was focusing on his life. We're over here talking about him now and how it's going to change our life. And Job had no idea. So myopic, myopic, myopic Job. Now look at what Job's life is able to do in our life, right? God allows suffering to do many things, but some of them are this, to sanctify us. God allows suffering to point us towards the eternal and not the temporary. I mean, how much, how many times has God taken things away from you and it made you realize, oh man, that was my God. I mean, that was my idol. And yet now I'm focused more on the eternal things and not the temporary. Suffering is also a proof that God's best is not found in life here. And you need to remember that. I think one of the biggest mercies and graces in general revelation is that if you believe that there is a God out there who does love his creation, you should ask the question, then why do we suffer? Well, we suffer because God has got so much more planned for what is to come that the things here, the good here, is not of, of great matter to God. It is of utmost importance for God that the best that we can get is the good that God will give his people. And so we can suffer here. Right? Things will happen here, and God isn't here to give us the most awesomest life because he's promised that to those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. So if you are a Bible-believing Christian, suffering should do a couple of things, but primarily it should recenter your mind to say, oh yeah, God promised so much more than this, and he promised in this life I will suffer. In this life I'm going to have trials, but God will use it for good, but what he has promised us and everlasting is going to be a place where there is no more suffering, there is no more pain, there is no more tears, and the book of Job should just put that on loudspeaker for everybody in the world. And this is why it's important to realize that Job is like this prologue to the rest of the Bible. He gets the abundance and then he he dies, but then God answers all the questions. He didn't mm -hmm. know, but guess he gets to know because yep. through pro the progressive revelation, through Genesis, all the way to Revelation. We now know what Job didn't know. Right. He didn't understand, but we get to, which bolsters our faith to go, I can suffer even better right. knowing that God has something planned out.
and for us, right, progressive revelation, right? If your view of God doesn't include a robust theology of suffering, right? If you in your if, if when you think of God that you can't think suffering should or could happen, you're missing out because progressive revelation tells us throughout Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, that if you miss suffering in your understanding of God, you miss the gospel, you miss discipleship. You miss grace and mercy and justice, and you miss forgiveness. Because without suffering, there is no gospel. Without the Son of God suffering, there is no gospel. Right? Without discipleship, Jesus said, you will suffer. If I suffered, you will suffer. There is no disciples of Christ if there is no suffering. There is no grace if there is no suffering. There is no mercy if there is no suffering. And there's truly no justice served if there wasn't any suffering. And there was no forgiveness as if the Son of God would not suffer. Suffering is a part of Christian life, and it is a part of a great, foundational, robust theology of God. We have to understand that suffering is a part of God's plan, and it isn't because he's a mean old God, because he's a God of the universe who loves his people and desires to do great things through his people, and sometimes suffering is a part of God's plan. All right. Well, Compass, we have a few announcements for you. Uh, don't forget the Compass Bookstore is open in the lobby on Sundays. And so right now we have Bibles, but be on the lookout for more books to come. Also, the Compass Coffee Co., which is a very popular place right now on Sundays. So make sure in the lobby you uh, get your cup of coffee before or after service and be on the lookout in the next few weeks that we hope to have that open during the week so that we can cultivate some discipleship. But also, there's a few uh, other things happening. Uh, Also, we have our kids' summer camps have been a blast so far. Uh, be praying for Camp Compass. Uh, if you know kids in the, entering the first to fifth grade, have them have them sign up for Camp Compass, our VBS-like camp. We'd love to have them on July 12th to the 15th from 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. each day. Uh, Pastor Hayden, you gave an update about the student summer camp revival. So what's that quick update? That's right. Instead of going to Huntsville, Texas for our summer camp, we are doing a local summer camp. And we're doing this for one reason and one reason only, because we want as many students from the 6th through 12th grade to learn about the Word of God as possible. And so for this summer, we have kept it here locally so more students can be involved. And as a matter of fact, we've had more students sign up today. Uh, So it's working, and that's why we're doing this, because we want you as parents, when you're listening to this, we need you to see the importance of time in the summer that is solely dedicated to the discipleships of your students. I know they can read the Bible. You're you're doing a great job at home, I trust, Uh, but this is a time where they unplug from life, they unplug from technology, and they get days long of just discipleship, discipleship, teaching, teaching, discipleship, discipleship. And this is a time in your students' lives that they'll remember for the rest of their lives. And many, like my own wife, have been saved through these exact events. So I want to encourage you, make sure that you sign your students up for Revival on July 22nd through the 24th. And then finally, men, this Saturday on July 9th at 9 a.m., we have another men's breakfast. So make sure you and gather other men from the community, the men in your life group, and let's fellowship together. We'll have plenty of food. We'll have worship, and I'll be preaching on leading the home God's way. Even if you're single, married, or with kids, we have homes that we need to lead as men, but we need to make sure we're doing it God's way. All right, that is all for this episode of the Compass Equip podcast. We look forward to seeing you guys soon, and we trust that you are reaching, teaching, and training in every aspect of your life. We'll see you soon. Mm-hmm.